Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray. And what a week that just we just saw in tennis. We've got Holger Room winning his first title. And I'm not really surprised that it came on this surface, right? You think about him and his game, nothing big, nothing impressive, uh, just kind of a machine. And it's really appropriate for him to win his first title on clay where your feet, your toughness, your mind, and your stamina, and your work ethic can really win you a title. So congratulations to the young boy. Let's talk about Big Foe and Baez in the final of Real. To me, you look at that tournament for Big Foe, key match was his match against Seb Corda. You think about two Americans trying to battle it out for Who's the next one to watch? Who's the next one to take the American crown? And it was a big win for Big Foe, who was down, really, right? Um, and sent the message to everybody that he's still here. And as it relates to Americans, he still has the edge on Seb Corda. And let's talk about Madrid. Exciting tournament. The first tournament we have Rafa and Novak in the same event. We see Swiatek pull out, which is a little surprising because she's played, she's won four tournaments in a row. She's kept the momentum going. Won a, won a tournament on clay. Unless she's injured, yeah, perhaps you kind of keep going and keep the momentum going, right? And maybe get the loss out of the way prior to the French Open. And let's talk about the three guests we have today. We've got Madison Bringle, Sasha Vickery, Francesca De Lorenzo. First, let's talk about Madison Bringle. A sleeper in every draw. She's at the top of a lot of people's list of people that they don't want to play when the draw comes out. Tough player, a veteran, kind of plays the same way every match and can push you to the end and squeak out a win. We've seen her take down several people at the U.S. Open that she wasn't supposed to. Take a listen. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We are here with Madison Bringle. Yeah. A veteran on the tour. Think about it, you're 30 years old, 31 now. 32 tomorrow. 32 tomorrow. Um, and that puts you in vet status. Thank you. So I'm proud of that. I, yeah. Vet, respected, one of the most feared players on tour. It's kind of like when the draw comes out, other than obvious seeds, Madison Bring was one of the names like, okay, let me just not play Madison. Okay. That's, that's a good compliment. Thank you. It is, yeah. it is totally a good compliment because yeah. you have that game. You're mature, you understand the tour, you understand how to play, understand how to win. So a lot of people like fear that. They kind of look for like an easy win, a little quality, a little young person who's gonna get out there on the big court and shit themselves. Okay. That's not Madison, <laughs> right? Yeah, I want like, no matter what happens, I wanna make it a long day for whoever. Like I would just wanna make it as tough as possible. If I'm having an off day, you can still do stuff out there. So you don't like, Option B, option C, just keep going through. Go through the <laughs> alphabet. Right. Yeah. 
But that only comes from experience. So tell me about how you got into tennis, right? Because you don't come from like a legacy. Your mom is a tennis coach. Yeah. Right? And But you come from Delaware. And like, I'm from the Midwest. And so, like, out here on tour, you're like, oh, you got to be from Florida, California, Texas. They forget about the Jack Sox, who's from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And Andy Roddick was from, you know, like, yeah. up in there. Tell us about how you got into tennis in Delaware and made it out of Delaware. So, my mom played tennis growing up. Um, but I grew up playing on lightning fast indoor courts in Delaware and there wasn't really anybody to practice with when I was younger. Now there's like, there's more junior players now. Um, but growing up, I would play with men when they got off work. So on like the fastest indoor courts and these were like men in their forties that would serve in volley on like lightning fast indoor courts. So that's why my forehand just slides across the inside of the ball. Cause like six year old me wasn't strong enough. So that's kind of how the game developed. And I never really drilled much. Like I just grew up, like they would want to warm up for five minutes and you play points. So like from the get go, it was always playing matches. And I feel like that was kind of how like you, f- you figure out a way. Cause like I was this big. So, yeah. So did your mom coach you your entire life, or was she like, I'm an introducer, I'm a transitioner, so I don't become that crazy tennis parent who, like, starves her and doesn't feed her because she had a bad practice? No, I definitely love food. Um, where nobody's <laughs> going to take my, my meals away. But she, she coached me until I was about, like, 16, and then I, I went down to Florida. But I went, I didn't, I like that I didn't go down and train in that, like, academy-type setting until I was a little bit more of an established player. So like, I feel like I kind of found my own game and then I was able to get the benefit of it because it worked out for me. Yeah, you can get lost in the academies, right? And yeah. I always tell people sometimes to be the big fish in a small pond in like Peoria, Illinois or Delaware, you get all the attention. Yeah. You know, like everyone wants to play with you and you get a lot of favor. And sometimes having like that energy and that support behind you versus being one of the other kids at Everett, right? You know what I mean? It's like, you don't get the attention and the care. And I think that's what you need if you like, want to do more than college. Yeah. You need for like... I I think that's a really good point, yeah. So, but you, but there is a benefit to training with like, I mean, the better people you play with, you're going to get better. But I think you almost want to find that a little bit older. Mm -hmm. I I think that helped me a lot. So your mom pops out every now and then. Mm-hmm. But not that often. No. So tell me what, what's that like now? Like when you like want to hire a coach, do you call her and say, Mom, what do you think about this guy? Or when she sees you struggling and she says, all right, I'm coming to get this shit back on the... Uh, we, we've reevaluated that a little bit. Um, so she shows up more when I'm down in Florida for a practice week because she wants me to cook. So oh. yeah, it's, she comes less and less to tournaments. So it's, it's more mom now than coach. So I know you're a wine connoisseur, but mm. you talked about your cooking now. When did you become so domesticated? Um, when I bought my house in Bradenton, because I had trained in Boca, and the food that we were given was just atrocious. <laughs> and then when I got my own house, that was like that was such an important thing to me. It was like just to start getting better at cooking. And my dad, he's a really good cook, so like I I grew up around that a little bit. But then when I like got into it, I loved it. So. Talk about food. We'll stay on the food for a little mm-hmm. bit. Food. So, you know, when you look at your, you know, sort of your, your schedule, right, mm-hmm. over the past 14 years. Yeah. You've played in everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Small tournaments, big tournaments, 125s, 250s, like all of that. I've done a lot of challenges. You've done a lot of challenges. <laughs> <laughs> so when you first drop down in the city, like every player has like their favorite food, whether it's Indian or pasta. Yeah. When you drop your bag down and you pull up 
you know, what's around you? What's the first type of food that you're like looking to see where it is in relation to the hotel? Hmm. I feel like I, if I'm eating out on the road, I want to get something that I'm not making at home. So I don't, I'm not good enough at making sushi. So if I can find really, really good sushi, that's probably like high on the list because I don't do that myself. Yeah. And bottle of wine. Mm. So. Like not in my luggage? Like, like not in your luggage. The one that you bring in your luggage, <laughs> and then the one you try to find like when you're in Rome to yeah. try to bring home and add to your collection. Uh, I don't know, like, I don't really seek out that much, like, oh, this specific bottle in that city. It just kind of depends, like, especially if Arena Rodionova, if she she's at a tournament, then we're seeking out different bottles, and that is so much fun. <laughs> she's a good time. <laughs> she is a good time. She's a very good time. And during COVID, your room was like the party room, right? You, like, brought your own stash. Mm, yeah, we had board games, we had wine. I even, like, up to the U.S. Open during that bubble, because we drove my car up and we had my coffee machine, but we had attached rooms. So she would get so upset if I forgot to open the attached door because she couldn't get the coffee in the morning. It was, it, we had so much fun. <laughs> Total wine deliveries. It was fantastic. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. So, with all the stops that you've been on tour, what is your favorite stop on tour? It doesn't have to be a slam, it doesn't have to be women yeah. or anything like that. Favorite stop on tour, and then least favorite. Mm. Okay. Um, I do love Melbourne, because I get to stay at Arena's house. So, it's nice just having a little bit, like, getting away from the tournament. You kind of relax, and I love doing my own laundry. Like, yeah. So, I, I really like Melbourne, and the food there is great. Uh, least favorite, last year we had uh, a 125 in Concord, Massachusetts, and it was the scariest hotel I've ever been at. <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying. So, hmm. and the supervisor here, she was at the tournament, and she's like, we still can't, like, she's like, it's too soon, can't talk about it. R really? That hotel was that bad. So it wasn't up to the standards. It was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So at 31 years old, right, you've played every slam, you've done well at the Australian Open, done well at the U.S. Open. What sort of keeps you going, right? And what are your what are your goals? So when you look back on your career, you're kind of like, all right, I'm happy that I was able to achieve this, this, and this, and my next chapter looks like this. I feel like my goals kind of changed as I got a little bit older. Because when you're younger, everybody kind of has the almost stereotypical boxes that they want to tick. And for me, it changed, especially like, I, I mean, I dealt with the big hand injury and the nerve stuff. So... It, I kind of had to adjust. So one of the big things for me a couple of years ago was having won a match in every main draw slam. And when I like ticked that, I was so happy. It's not going to be a big deal to anybody else, but to me it was like a huge deal. And as long as I can just play and stay healthy enough, like I feel like that's always the key word is enough because <laughs> we're never like we're never totally healthy. But if I can just enjoy it, and I like the travel, I like the food. I just I like this job. This is a cool job. It's a good job. So we talk about it being a job, right? And I think that most coaches, or very few coaches, kids actually make it. Saviano's kids don't play. Rick Macy's kids don't play. My daughter, I'm like still frustrated that she doesn't play okay. as much as she would. I said, you know, you've like, 
shared a bed with Sloan, who won a Grand Slam, hung up Monica, Teta Townsend, and you hate tennis. Like, how can you have all that talent mm -hmm. in the next room in our house and you don't play? Why do you think that is? Do you have a theory? Well, first of all, I've never tried to coach her. So okay. I, I think that she's a girl mm -hmm. and my other two kids are boys. And I think that tennis has, me traveling, has taken away from her okay. and away from the family. And so I think she resents she everything about the sport. Okay. I think she resents like lack of presence or being like, today's my son's birthday, right? So I yeah. think she resents what it's taken away from her. Mm. She's like, yeah, I hate that. Mm. That's, That's just tough. my yeah. theory. Uh, no, I, and for me, looking at it, I like this sport um, as, a, as a woman trying, playing sports, to make money, there's not many you can you can do it. You, uh, to me, it's golf and tennis. If you want to like have like a good career, and I, I don't know, I like I feel like it would be nice if there were more options for women that you could see it as a career, not just like a side quest. Like this is not a side quest. <laughs> but some people look at like the sports that girls play in college, but they don't ever really go pro with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I would like it to be like to be able to be a career. I also think that when you think about all the careers within this sport, yeah. whether it's being a tournament director, whether it's being a comms person, whether it's being uh, an umpire, even though like EL, you know, electronic line calling is like taking their jobs, mm. but like all the other <laughs> professions within, in and around tennis, yeah. right? being an agent, like being yeah. a, a female agent, right? Yeah. I think there's a there's a lot of job opportunities, and it's a really cool sport, I think, to be involved in. Yeah. So what did your mom do, right? So I talked about my frustrating experience with my own kid. Even my son like hates it, right? He like mm -hmm. slaps the dog on the ass with a tennis racket, right? <laughs> but refuses to hit a ball. Okay. Like he'll like hit you with the racket, but he refuses to put the ball on the strings. Sure. So what did your mom do that perhaps like myself, Macy, you know, like that our kids like went the other way with it? She had me play a lot of sports. It was not just tennis. So I think not like putting me into this like it has to be this it has to be this yes she wanted it to be tennis but i played soccer i played volleyball i was in the band i did ballet yeah no let's not talk about the, my brief stint in the band um but yeah i i did a lot of different stuff so i feel like letting it kind of be my choice was like yeah there were a lot of activities a lot of sports staying active was great but letting it be my choice was probably the most important thing hmm See, I feel like if I gave my kids a choice, they just play video games and watch TV mm. all day. So it's kind of like, yeah, you have some choices, except this one. Mm. I no, I, yeah. So I hear you, but like we had, I I feel bad now. I'm looking back and I'm like, how did they manage to get us to all these activities? Like, yes, it was the minivan life, but like, how did they manage that? Like, that's what, it was impressive. But I feel very lucky that I had that many choices. Yeah. <laughs> So you say the minivan life. Let me give you a minivan story. Mm. So 2018 was a good year. Okay. And that was when I had my third kid. And we were looking at Suburbans and Escalades. Okay. And there was like a particular match that didn't go the way it was going. Okay. So I was like, all right, yeah. win this match, it would be an Escalade. Okay. If we lose this match, it would be a Honda Odyssey. <laughs> okay. We lost the match. It's a Honda Odyssey? So then I was still out of town. So my buddy bought the car for me, drove it to my house, dropped it off in the driveway. And my wife was like, what the f is this? Oh, no. I was like, when I get back home, you can ask the team what oh. this is and why oh. it's this instead of that. Oh. Oh. So that, what I was like, that's the best car I've ever owned. 
Okay. Sliding doors, TV, they can yeah. like pour stuff all over the floor. And it's okay. It's okay, but that, that is my minivan story. So my Honda Odyssey should have been an Escalade. Okay, but, but we're happy that it was. We're yeah. happy that it we're was. We're happy that it was, okay, yeah. So I lived the minivan life. <laughs> I went to a lot of different sporting activities. So I got last question. So let's just pretend that the 1000s incorporated mix doubles into, you know, more of the draw. And you're like a great doubles player and had a lot of double success. Who would be your dream mix partner? I take it you don't know what happened to me the last time I played mixed doubles. <laughs> you're going to tell me. <laughs> oh, my okay, God. So tell me the story. Mm. So I played mixed at Wimbledon with Dustin. Oh. Mm. And... Boy, that's wild and crazy experience. I mean, you signed up for that. I, okay. Well... I felt like I should probably play the backhand side because, like, my backhand's my better shot. And he goes, no, I'm going to play the ad side. I'm the weapon, which, that's fine. You're a guy. That's fine. But I said, listen, like, on the do side, I'm probably not going to get a guy's serve back. Whatever. Do whatever you want. Fine. And my other thing, I was like, I just had a little bit of fear because, like, he, his aim, it can be, <laughs> it's, a little all over, it's a little over the shop. So... We're playing as the second set, and the guy hits a serve like a meter out, and Dustin takes a full crack at the forehand. I was half back, it was the guy's first serve. Got me in the ear. It broke the cartilage in my ear. So that was the last time I played mixed doubles. So like, <laughs> when you're like, who do you want to play mixed doubles with? And I'm like, absolutely no one, please. You retired so, from mixed. Uh, I think that was probably, yeah. I, whew, that was, I actually did not go down like a sack of potatoes. I thought I, I thought I would. That did not feel good. Full like he took a full crack at it. <laughs> Some, someone made a collage of like the cycle, like me getting hit, the trainer coming out. Like it was, yeah. I'll show you the collage. <laughs> it's terrible. So if they bring more mixed in, Madison will. Let me commentate. You'll I can, commentate. I'll commentate, but she's like, please don't put me out there. Like I will do. I will do any. I would ball girl. I would umpire, but like don't make me play mixed ever again. Done. Done. <laughs> no. Well, thank you for coming on. This has been the Tennis.com podcast with Madison Brangle. Thank you for having me. And now let's talk about one of the most famous juniors in U.S. history. You think about that class with Madison Key, Sasha Vickery, Vicky Duvall. Sasha was one of the ones that was picked to make it the furthest. We got a great chat with Sasha about her junior career, sort of how she separated herself or attempted to separate herself from that impressive class of juniors and Maddie and, and Sasha and, and Vicky, and what she's been up to in her other interests. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we are here with the player I have been watching since she was 11. I remember watching her in Peachtree City, Georgia, whoop up on one of my players at the time. Uh, she's a 95 baby, yes. which you know, like, you know, back in the day, that's like, what, 94 baby, 95 baby, 96 baby. She was the hot sh in 1995 <laughs> of that class, Sasha Vickery. Yes. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so when I say Peachtree City, does that bring back memories? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like all the nationals and the super nationals, um, just growing up on that USTA, uh, you know, tournament schedule, all the girls I grew up with playing was all from those nationals. So, so talk about some of the girls from your class. I remember like Vicky, Jerrica. Yeah. Victoria Duvall, Jerrica Boone, uh, Jenny Brady, who came out a little bit later. Um, 
Who else, man? There was like Kelsey Lorente, Chanel Van Nuga, a bunch of players. Uh, Madison, she's my year. So we all grew up playing together, same tournaments, uh, same training camps at USTA. So we all know each other well. So I remember I was coaching players and we came to Peachtree City. Everybody was like, Sasha Vickery, Sasha Vickery. She's the one. She's the one. Number one in the country. She's the one. I was like, let me go find this girl. And then I said, and I was like expecting somebody to be like 6'1". You and saw said, my little song. I was like, this little thing that's like up against the fence, just retrieving and pushing. I was like, this little thing? You're like, yeah, yeah. that little thing tough. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I used to get that all the time. Right. But that's, I'm small. I've always been little. So I had to, you know, work with whatever I had. And yeah, I was definitely back there, moonballing, hitting high. You know, <laughs> whatever it took to win, that's, that's what I was doing. That was, I was the one at that. I remember. <laughs> so, and I remember at Peachtree City, you know, first day of the tournament. A lot of cars in the parking lot. You can't park in the parking lot. You're parking on a little side street. Right, right. And then you get to the end, and there's like nine cars in the parking I'm like, is that a little thing? She's still in the tournament? Or right. She's still in the tournament. <laughs> right. right, yeah. Those were the days I used to, like, I used to get to the tournament. I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to play Vicky in the final. Like, I used to go through the draw, and I'm like, I'll be in the final playing Vicky. Because right. we played every final, every week. So, yeah. So talk about that, because I feel like that was the time where it was like everyone was trying to get chose by the USTA. Right. Like, that was like the big thing. Like, you right. wanted to win Super Nats, because yeah. you wanted to be like, get all the USTA support, and right. get invited to the camps. Talk about how like it was like a little bit of internal competition right. to get chosen at the time. Now I don't think it's that much. Like no one's right. trying to get chosen. Exactly. Right? Yeah. They like, want to be IMG or somebody else. But right. then it was like USTA was like right. when they put their finger on you, then you were like gonna make it. Yeah, I'm not sure why that was, but that you know period of time, you know, with me, Vicky, Daniel Collins, Madison, and all of that, there was just like a intense, like you know, wanting to show you know, your talent wanting to show USTA. And I think they were just maybe more involved in, in the tennis side of things. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's changed over the years. Now people kind of do their own thing. They don't really, you know, just dive in like straight to USTA. They're like, let me just do my own thing. And then if it happens, it happens. But I'm not sure why around that time, you know, being part of the USTA was such a big deal. Yeah. You know, looking back, it, it wasn't that big a deal, but it's just one of those things, you know. <laughs> So how did you get into tennis? Because, you know, Paula right. wasn't a tennis player, right? right? And you're from the Caribbean. Yes. And you think of, like, some of those small islands down there. Right. You know, there's a few. You got, like, DK, Darian. You right. got a few guys from down there. But it's not like you would think with the climate right. it was big, but it's not. So how did you get into it? Yeah, I started totally by accident. Like you said, you know, Darian, I've, I've known him forever. You know, the my mom comes from a small island, you know, in, in a village almost in, in South America, in the Caribbean. And, you know, she immigrated to the United States. You know, we didn't have money to, you know, throw me into tennis lessons, to throw me into sports. But I started by accident when I was younger. I went to the dollar store. I saw a racket. I started hitting on the wall with it. And, you know, after a while, they were like, wow, you, you know, you're pretty good. Why don't you try to take lessons. So, you know, my mom scraped up whatever she could. She put me in lessons and then I got good quickly and I just stuck to it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So 
you look at like federations, right? You look at like the Czech, you look at yeah. like even the LTA, you could and even like um, the Canadian Federation, right? You can see how like waves of players make it. Right. And you know, you being from the Caribbean, right, right, doesn't really have like a federation that has that same type of pipeline. You right. know what I mean? But you see other people, even who grew up in America, go and play for another country to get right. that. Yeah. Do you think that like it would have been easier if there was like an organized sort of federation with a larger pot of money to support. Yeah, I think for sure. You know, the the big thing with the Caribbean is you know they just don't have the funds. Like you know these small countries, they can't send players to tournaments. They can't you know you know pay for hotels and stringing and food and flights and you know all that extra stuff. I think if they had more funds and more opportunity, then there'd be more players coming out from the Caribbean and um, even you know even kind of going back to American tennis, if there were more resources, you know, in the inner cities and, you know, some of these small communities, I'm sure there'd be a lot of players that could make it, but people don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. So you've always been like a trendsetter. Even back then, you were like yeah. the it girl, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, you were like the first player I saw that had a tattoo on her shoulder. Right. Where she wore a little shoulder strap. Yeah. And then, then I started seeing like piercings. I was like, that right. girl Sasha be doing her own. <laughs> Thing, yeah, right? that's true. So now you're into fashion. Yes. So tell me about, you know, your your how you got into it and what you what what you into. Yeah. So I always done my own thing. I'm original. I don't try to follow anybody. I just be myself. Um, I stay positive. I be myself. Uh, but now fashion is something I've been into since I was a teenager. But it was more of a hobby. I never really explored it. So as I got older, you know, and for me in particular, I struggle finding clothes that fit my body type. You know, everybody has a different body type. I'm small, I'm curvy. You know, a lot of the girls, they're tall, skinnier, and you know, just the way it is. And I was like, why don't I try to, you know, make clothes or make something for people that don't have the status quo, you know, typical body type like me, because I find it hard to get clothes. So um, I started my line, it's really in like the, beginning stages right now, but this is the first week that I wore um, one of my own designs. I sketched on court, so on, on court. court. On court um, I sketched it like during COVID, um, got somebody to like bring it to life. So throughout the year, I'm going to wear it more and more. Mm. Yeah. And then you got a pink Tesla. I now, do. Now let me tell you. <laughs> I do. So before I saw it, I heard, I was like, man, this girl crazy. <laughs> She went by a Tesla and got it wrapped in like matte pink. I, I was like, did. that sounds like Sasha. So <laughs> yeah. you got to be brave, right? And you can't be creeping in that because right. you like everybody know where everybody, you are. Everybody, right? yeah. It's like I would say you can't miss me on the streets of Miami. Like people, you know, some of my friends, they see me on the highway, they know it's me. I'm the only one with a pink Tesla. But that just goes back to being original. Like I like things like that. Um you know, and I'm also born and raised in Miami, and we just have that like car culture in us. I'm from North Miami, so. A little Nicki Minaj. Little pink, Nicki Minaj, flashy rims, all the Miami vibes. Like, that's just what I'm about. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm about. So, let's talk about the vibes, right? Because okay. you are a player that has played in all the slams. Yes. Won rounds in all the slams. Yes. Yeah. Also played 125, yes. 25, yes. 60s. Yeah. What's your favorite stop? on the tour, and what's the stop that you're like, mm, if I never go there, I'm okay. Okay, so my favorite tournament, it'd probably be Indian Wells, just because there's like a really different energy there. Like it's very, you know, relaxed, and the site is beautiful. Obviously everybody says that's like one of their favorite tournaments. Um, but the going back to the trenches, where you know, you go back trenches. to the 25, 60s, where it's a little rough. 
Um, there's a 60K in Macon, Georgia Oof. at Mercer University. I will never play at that site again. I already promised myself. I'll go to another site in Macon, but I won't play at Mercer University, mm. any tournament they have there. Now, why is that? It just, it's something that like, as a player, you know, you go to one of those tournaments and it's just like everything goes wrong. That's been the case with me in that tournament for the past four years. <laughs> so I think you get to a point where you're like, maybe I need to take my game elsewhere. Cause this isn't, this isn't the week for me. <laughs> so that's it for sure. Yeah. I won't be going back to Macon, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So every now and then we see Paula pop up. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And Paula, my favorite person, first of all. Okay. I'm like, had a hard day with somebody to drink with. <laughs> okay. Paula, want to have a drink? Yeah. She's like, I'm down. She's ready. Right? Yeah, she stays ready. So tell me when Paula pops up. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is she like, oh, no, this is going wrong. I need to show my face. So I figured out that she only wants to be at the slams. She doesn't want to go to any of the smaller events leading up to the slams. <laughs> so she feels the slams are her moment. That's her conditions that she thrives in. So she's only at the bigger events, but she's not going through the trenches. You'll only see her at the slam. She's Hollywood. She's Hollywood, bougie. She's not trying to scrape it up at the bottom and get, she's just trying to be there. See, I always thought that she showed her, like, you know, I'm here, mama's here, mama yeah. bear's here. Yeah. Let me make sure this goes right. Yeah, That's oh, she is, that. she is a mama bear, but I think as I get older, she's starting to like, you know, let me do my own thing more, but she's still very much you know, calling me multiple times a day, you know, making sure everything is good. Uh, she still has that motherly, you know, that's not going anywhere. My mom is my mom. So, um, but she's definitely been demoted to only slams for right now. <laughs> <laughs> for right now. <laughs> and just for that, she gonna pop up and yeah. say, just to show you she can do what she wants. Yeah, that's true. So you've been out here on the tour, mm -hmm. right? I think you were the, the it girl coming out. What do you think you need to do to like be top 25. Cause I think everybody knows you're like, that girl can ball. Right. She can fight, she can right. move, she right. has everything. Right. Right, so what do you think, like the one little thing, so like before I leave tennis, right. I wanna do this. I would probably say, for me it's like the consistency week in, week out. Cause you know, I've played these big events, you know, I've, I've you know, been top 100 and you know, I know what it's like to play these players. So I think at the beginning it was kind of like, you know, can I compete with these players? You know, do, do I have the game? And then once I was getting those wins and making, you know, semis of WTAs, then I started to realize, okay, then it's up to my mentality and my consistency every week. So I think that's one of the things I've struggled with um, more, not so much as in the beginning, because, you know, when you're a top-ranked junior, you know, all eyes are on you and, you know, there's pressures that come with that. But then, of course, you get to the tour and you're not winning matches every week. You know, <laughs> you're not, you know, you're not winning tournaments every week. Right. So, um, so I think that took me a while to kind of be like, okay, like, you know, you got to fight every match, every point. Um, and once I'm in that mentality, that's when I'm able to play my, my best tennis. But it's finding that week in and week out. And that's what the best players do. So when I look at like your class, yeah. all of y'all went pro. Right. And you know we don't see it. You see like half decided to go play a year or two of right. college. You talk about Jim Brady. Right, right, right. Right. Jensen Brooksby was right. going to college if yeah. COVID didn't happen. Right. Imagine that. Yeah. So now, what made you decide to go pro? Right? Was it like a big win? Mm -hmm. Was it like an agency? Like, oh yeah, she gonna make it. Mm -hmm. Always curious as to like when people decided to like step out there. Right. So for me, um, Personally, after I won uh, hard courts, I won in singles and doubles. That was kind of like 
a big moment for me where I was like, okay, like here's my opportunity to see what it's like to play at these bigger levels. Um, but I think going pro is just something I had my my mind set on. And you know, it's like I've, I've said before, like I don't come from a rich family and I knew playing on tour, I was gonna be able to provide for myself, provide for my family. Um, and that was my main focus in the beginning. I was like, you know, I, I wanna be pro because I wanna start working. I wanna make money, I wanna, I wanna play and I wanna see what it's like to be on the tour week in and week out. Um, so that was just my thing personally. I always knew that I wanted to go straight to pros. All right, sound like an NBA player, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> straight, <laughs> to the straight there. Straight to the Yeah, and I'm good in school, but I was like, that college life seems a little difficult. So <laughs> I know I can play tennis. I don't know about college and exams and all that stuff, but tennis I can play. So. All right, well, thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> this has been the Tennis.com podcast with Sasha Vickery. Yeah, thank you. And now, Francesca DeLorenzo. She's a recipient of the Oracle Grant, along with Chris Eubanks. She's a player I've had the opportunity to watch grow up, play here in the Midwest. Took out a lot of players that I coach at the Midwest Clothes. Um, a lefty, crafty, young, talented, trying to find her way and solidify her spot in the top 100 so she can be in the first round and main golf slams on a consistent basis. A locker room favorite, super nice kid, Take a listen and hear about her tennis journey and how she got to where she is. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We are here with the pride of Ohio and the Ohio State University, Francesca DeLorenzo. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here with you. So, funny story. Mm. Ann Grossman calls me, oh, come on, I'm working with this player. She's so good. She's lefty. She's blah, blah, blah. Her name is Francesca DeLorenzo. I said, Ann, I've been watching that girl push since she was 10 years old. Grinding. Grinding. 10 feet behind the baseline. <laughs> That's me. So, Raising my hand. So I, so I coached a girl named Zoe Spence. I know Zoe. Of course you do. Yeah. And it was like, oh my God, come out. We're, you were at Midwest Clothes. I was like, can you come watch? She's got to play Francesca DeLorenzo. She's so good. So I like walked past you like five times, right? Looking for like Francesca De Lorenzo. You're like, where is this guy? And then Benet, Zoe's mom's like, oh, there she is over there. I was like, her? That? Yeah. That thing over there? That scrub? Right there. <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's so good. She's so good. Da, da, da. Then you get on the court with her and you start whooping her ass. I'm like, okay, now I see. She actually is pretty good. <laughs> wow. Throw it back to the Midwest days. Throw it back oh, to the Midwest days. Seriously. Day. Oh, those were the days. Don't miss them, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about making it from the Midwest because people always pretend like you got to grow up in California, Florida, Georgia right. to make it. But you are an example. Jack Sock. I mean, of players who can make it in cold weather climate. So tell me what it was like growing up in the Midwest. Yeah. Trying I mean, to play tennis. Um, I would say it was a little harder with court time uh, just because you're inside and you're at a club and so you got to reserve the courts. It's not like you can really just go out to a park, whereas if you're in Florida, that's um, pretty common. You can do that. But, um, and then you have to pay for your court, so that was a little bit um, tough on that end. But um, I think you, everything just has to be a little bit more planned out. Um, you have a certain amount of hours on the court, so you're really trying to maximize the amount of time you have, from whether it be the morning or the afternoon clinic. It's like 
once it hits 5 p.m., you're off the court, there's other members coming on. So you can't really do that extra if you feel like you need to do something uh, and you want to work on some other things. So I just think I really was able to um, make the most of every minute I had on the court and really appreciate um, the time I had out there with my coaches. So you didn't grow up playing six hours a day. Were you homeschooled? Yeah, no, not homeschooled at all. My, um, my parents absolutely did not take that route with me, <laughs> and they weren't going to as much as I begged them to. I really kind of got into tennis like more so like throughout my high school years, and I asked them. I wanted to go down to um, Florida and go to an academy, and they said no. I was, they let me go for like a week. That was maximum what I was allowed to do. Um, but I always went to school. Um, they really prioritized academics with me. And I'm glad they did, and I was able to have a little bit of a social life. So I think um, in, in the long run, it really paid off going to school. So you pray, play probably, what, two, three, four hours a day? Yeah, No, I mean like two hours a day in the afternoon. Um, and you still made it? Yeah, I just think it's like, I mean, I did some fitness as well, so I think that helped, and I was able to develop a little bit more, but I think the whole, like, you need to be on the court for four or five hours a day is just so overrated. Like, if you get two good hours in every day, I remember my coach would always tell me that, if you get two good hours in every single day, like, that's enough. You're getting your work in, you obviously want quality over quantity, and, and now I think you see, like, a lot of kids, like, really need, like, feel the need to be out there three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon, like, I don't, I personally, that's not the way I grew up, so I don't feel like that's necessary. Um, but that's just my end personally. And I think you can get burnt out pretty easily, maybe some injuries. I mean, again, you got to think about you're pretty young, you're you're going through, um, you're trying to mature, and, and you're getting older, and just like uh, trying to enjoy other aspects of life. Like, why put so much pressure on the tennis when you're in high school? Like, really, if it's something you want to do long-term, there's no need to, like, <laughs> literally hone in a thousand percent and put, like, all your chips and all your cards um, into tennis when you should probably, like, personally, like, be exploring other things, enjoy life a little bit. And then, yes, hone in on the tennis um, once you get through college or to college um, if it's something you really want to pursue. But um, I've always believed that you got to, like, at least have a little bit of a balance. So you were great coming out of high school. I mean, heavily recruited. People thought you actually might go and play on a tour. Mm. How did you decide to go to college versus coming straight to playing pro tennis? I mean, honestly, it was never even an option to not go to college. Um, I think probably because my parents like instilled that into me. Like there was just no chance. Um, <laughs> but I honestly, I didn't think either that um, I was ready to play professionally at all. Um, I played some junior, my last year of high school, I played the junior ITF circuit um, more heavily. And it sounded like I was winning. I don't think I won one. I won one ITF and that was like a grade four or something like that. So I was not <laughs> dominating that. So that kind of gave me a good tell that like, hey, like you're probably not ready. Not saying that juniors is the end all be all. To, it, by no means is it. Um, but like I was not winning or doing that great until I, I think my best result was like when I decided to go to school. Um, I was in school and played uh, junior US Open and I semied singles and doubles there. But um, I think maybe I just played super loose because I knew I was like in college just enjoying it, wasn't even supposed to be out there. And, um, but yeah, it was never an option to not go to school. I always knew I was going to go for how long? I don't know, but um, I was going to go to school for sure. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So you talk about playing in Midwest, being confined by court time, mm-hmm. cold weather. Now you're a Florida girl. You're never coming back to the Midwest. You always yeah. give me shit about yeah. you're still in Chicago in the cold, right? <laughs> it's true. So how did you decide to go to Ohio State? Because I know other schools are recruiting you, mm-hmm. right? UCLA, I mean, all these yeah. schools where you could get what you got now. Yeah. How did you decide to go to O State? Well, at the time I was working um, with Ann and also with Ty Tucker, um, the uh, men's coach and the director of tennis at Ohio State. And I really, for me, the most important thing were the coaches. And I wanted to make sure I could keep that um, training that I kind of had so I knew um, if I went to Ohio State, it was very close to home. It was only 25 minutes from where I lived. And I would be able to keep the same coaches um, for the most part, work with Ann a little bit. And then um, mainly I was working with Ty there, so that was great. Um, And he let me practice with the boys, so that was awesome. He kept his promise to me from day one. Um, And if I went somewhere else, it would be a little bit of a gamble. Um, I I didn't know the coaches. And for me, I just felt comfortable with that. Um, I loved the girls on the team. I loved the women's coaches at Ohio State, so I felt really connected with with everyone there. Um, but yeah, I was deciding between UCLA and Ohio State, which is a huge uh, difference. One's across the country, one's a 25 minute drive. Um, but yeah, I just, I felt the most comfortable with the coaches and the team. And um, the whole like being indoor versus outdoor, I also, um, I think that's kind of a bluff to be, to be quite frank. But um, I think you can play indoor tennis and then go adjust and it takes two days. Right. Um, I really don't think this, you have to play outdoors because pro tennis is outdoors. Yeah. Like, it's not like you've never played outdoor tennis before. Even in the Midwest, you play in the summer and you can play in the fall and you can play in the early spring. Yes, the winter you can't play outdoors, but like you adjust within a couple days. And so playing the majority of your matches indoors where I think that's like a lot of the like points the coaches use as recruiting um, for the, out, the outdoor schools and um, I just, I don't get it. Like, it takes a couple of days to, and if you can't adjust, if you can adjust to someone's ball inside when they hit hard serves and have a lot of pace on their ball, then you'll be able to adjust outside. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my mentality with that. Poster child for the Midwest. I yeah, love I really it. am. I really, I'm like, go Midwest. I, I really, I stick to my roots. <laughs> I love Ohio and love Ohio State. So you had two years to be a normal college student. Mm-hmm. Were you like one of the girls at the Ohio State-Michigan game with like, oh, paint on your cheek <laughs> and like the red tank top and like the shorts you probably shouldn't be wearing? Like, was that you? You know, I never did like the like painted tattoos or anything like that, but I, I started early on those game days, I'll say that, like had a little <laughs> fun with the rest of the team, you know, just made sure we were super ready for those game days. Uh, <laughs> you know, checked out the bar scenes and everything. No, it, it was fun. I mean, I enjoyed, I definitely enjoyed my college time and um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take it back at all. I, I love college and I love college tennis. Um, I'm, I'm a big advocate for it um, and I had a great time. So looking back on it, what would be, I mean, you see a lot of players now get real good real young. You look mm-hmm. at like Coco and Costia and all these people right. are like teenagers. Yeah. What would you say a player should use as their like deciding factor, whether they're like play the tour or go to college? Is it like if you win a junior slam, you definitely go to co- go play tour, right? If an agent hands you half yeah. a million bucks and like upfront money, you definitely go. What, what do you think is a good 
Man, gauge a, to that's you? That's a tough question. I don't know if there's really like any pinpoint answer to that. I think, yes, one, if you can support yourself or if you have someone that supports you um, for at least a certain amount of years financially, because obviously, as we know, it's very expensive to, to pay a coach and travel on the road. Um, and then, yeah, the, the results need to kind of speak for themselves. If it's not, you have to be realistic with yourself at the end of the day. And I hope, I genuinely hope that their parents and the coaches have the best um, interest for the child and, and the player because I think sometimes it's like their dream over the child's and um, that's just not the case. I mean, you have to do what's best for, for the player and what's the most realistic. I mean, I think I'm sure you would say the same thing. You see some players that like didn't go to college and you're like, man, like they really should have gone and they could have benefited from that and really had some time to mature and grow. And um, I, yeah, I just, I would say like, if you win a slam for sure, not, not for sure, but um, there's, I would start thinking about it. Um, but again, it doesn't really mean you, if you look at like the past slam winners um, in juniors, it doesn't necessarily mean automatic success in pros because it's just so different. Um, there's just no telltale. And same thing if you go to college, some people handle that better than others. Some people that were top juniors go to college and then, you know, it's the end of the road for them and vice versa. Sometimes you've never heard of these junior players. They go to college. I mean, I think Cressy, I was talking with one of the players the other day, Cressy's an, a per perfect example. He wasn't even in the lineup, I don't think. And now he's what he started the year finaling and playing the doll in Australia. Um, so you just, it's just everyone adjusts differently. I, I don't know if there's like an exact correct answer for that. So you got the famous Oracle grant, right? After yeah. your second year, you, Chris Eubanks, you got the grant. That is when you knew, okay, I'm gonna make it, right? Because out of all these people, they gave it to me and they gave you like a little bit of time, right? Yeah. Or money. I don't know if up. I knew I was gonna make it, but I was like, wow, like um, a company as large and prestigious as Oracle is like believing in me to give me a grant of $100,000 to um, dedicate to my tennis. And that, that gave me a lot of confidence um, to know that like I was chosen out of all the other fantastic college players that were playing on the circuit. Um, and they chose me to, because they really believe in, in me going forward. Um, and so Mark Hurd was the main um, factor in that. He, he loved college tennis. All those Oracle tournaments, that was him. I mean, he loved college tennis. Um, he went to uh, Baylor, I mm -hmm. believe. Yeah. Um, and just always loved watching tennis. And, and man, I can't thank him enough for um, really backing me and Chris Eubanks won it the same year I won and we're really good friends so it was really cool to be out there and um, know that there was a sense of security for the next couple years that I could put this money um, aside towards my tennis and towards coaching and not really have to worry about um, financially supporting myself right from the get-go. So we talk about the things that gave you like belief when mm -hmm. you first hit the tour who was like the first person to like whoop your ass and you were like damn I don't know if I'm ready. Actually, you know what? Um, Jesse Pagula whooped my ass so hard. Um, I'm not even joking. It was, uh, I'm pretty sure I was down 6-0-5-1. Um, I remember it was in Florida at Saviano's Academy. That's where it was like a 25K or something like that. And it was the qualifying. It was like my first like big pro tournament. I was so pumped to be in there. I got a wild card and, um, and it was a rain delay. So we ended up not finishing, finishing that day, the match. And I was like, am I really going to pay a hotel room for another day for like a game? Like, I'm, down, <laughs> I'm down like 6.05 when I'm calling my dad. I'm like, 
it, should I just like pull out? Like, <laughs> and and the next day, like literally was on the court for like five minutes. She whooped me six zero six one. Like, I, I don't even know how I got a game, but I was like, wow. Like when I saw her play, like that's the level. I was like, damn. Like she beat me good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she, she whooped my ass. Um, yeah, she whooped me time. That was good. Yeah. Well, it was fun having you on. It's always fun seeing you. Yeah. I had the opportunity to watch you grow. Yeah. Beat up on a bunch of my students. Oh, no, I don't know. They beat up on me a good amount of time, too. No, nah, I had to drive to Indianapolis for like 45 minutes. Like, I drove all the way up here to watch you get your ass whooped by this little girl. <laughs> I was like, come on, bro. All, she's just left-handed. As long as it's tricky. Like, yeah, now I got to drive back home. Uh, so it's good to, it was great watching you grow. Great always seeing you now, your smile, thanks. your humor. Thanks for coming on the show. Always love talking to you. It's great. Thanks.